everyone. Uh, my name is Zahra. I'm member of the Babar Church. Uh, today we reading <coughs> Luke, uh, page 1051, uh, verse 18, chapter 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feed God nor cared what people told. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming him with the, with the pearl grant me justice against me, adventurer. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even thought, I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keep bothering me, I will see that she gets just justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about just justice for his chosen ones who care out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. Please uh, keep that passage open in front of you, Luke chapter 18, uh, and those of you regular, John will be back, um, as in John eight, uh, 17, I think, will be back next week. So this was a little break in the program, and I was asked if I would fill in, and uh, as I thought about what I might preach, I thought there's probably nothing we need more at the moment as a church than to be uh, learning about prayer and being encouraged to pray, and so it was uh, Luke 18 that uh, the Lord laid in my heart for uh, this evening. So you get a little bonus series on prayer within a series on John. So this next week will be prayer as well. Uh, let's pray now and ask that God will help us as we look at this passage together. Father, I want to pray very simply uh, for each one of us here this evening, including myself, that you would please teach us to always pray and not give up for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, when it comes to prayer, after 30 years of Christian faith, I've concluded that the easiest bit is the part where you stop. Getting started is quite hard because there are a thousand and one other things I could be doing or should be doing. Uh, keep going for more than a few minutes is uh, pretty tough, especially in our world of instant connectivity and anti-social media. Sorry, I mean social media. But giving up on prayer? Well, I don't know about you, but I find that quite easy whether giving up temporarily because my mind is distracted or giving up praying for somebody or something in particular because, well, nothing seems to change or giving up on regular times of prayer in the face of competing priorities or giving up on prayer completely 
because it is the easiest thing in the world to do. Well, if your prayer life is of the stop-start variety, or if you're perhaps struggling to keep praying for a particular person or situation in your own life, in the life of a loved one, in the wider world, or if for whatever reason you have given up totally on prayer, or maybe you've never really even got started, well, this parable in Luke 18 is exactly what you need to hear. Uh, one of the great things I, I love about uh, preaching this passage and preparing for it is that I didn't have to spend ages wondering what on earth is the main point. Because unlike with some parables, Luke gives the game away right at the outset. He provides the application for us in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples a parable. Why? To show them that they should always pray and not give up or not lose heart, it could be translated. That's the point of the parable. So if after the service you chat about the message, which I hope you will, but nobody should be saying, well, do you know what? I didn't have a clue what he was on about. Who is he again? What on earth was he talking about? No, I could speak in a foreign language for the next 25 minutes or even close my Bible and sit down. You may wish, but you should still be able to say, now I got the main point of the message. Jesus told this parable to show us that we should always pray and not give up. So that's where we're going tonight. That's the take-home point in a nutshell. And a word for anyone who feels like a complete failure in the area of prayer. I know many believers do. Jesus does not use guilt or manipulation to make his point. So rest assured, nor will I. No, Jesus uses this brilliant little story to motivate, stimulate, and challenge us to stick at praying. Despite all the frustrations, the dilemmas, the unanswered prayers, Jesus wants to encourage you and me to always pray and not give up. First lesson in Jesus' school of prayer, remember the kingdom context. Before we dive into the detail, note that context is key here. This story is not placed randomly in Luke's gospel. Uh, Right at the start of his account, Luke tells us that he's carefully investigated everything to do with Jesus and written what he calls an orderly account. So this parable is here in what we call Luke 18 for a reason. Uh, Notice the chapter starts with the word then, links it to what's gone before. And if you look quickly at the final section of chapter 17, you'll see there that Jesus has been teaching about a coming day, verse 30, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is revealed. That day will take people by surprise, he says. So people will be eating, drinking, marrying, verse 27. They'll be buying and selling, planting and building, verse 28. So Asda will be heaving, wedding bells ringing, purple bricks booming, and B&Q will be packed. But, says Jesus, verse 34, I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken and the other left. Now, that may sound to some like the plot of a rather far-fetched and unconvincing Netflix box set. But again and again, the Bible warns us that despite what mockers and scoffers will always say, a day of judgment is coming. A day when God will wrap up this world. A day when King Jesus will return in all his majesty to usher in a new and glorious kingdom and on that day we're told every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord but for now of course we live in a world where most people don't submit to the rule of Jesus that's why everything is such a mess isn't it 
why there's so much violence, injustice, political instability, war, sickness, hunger, anger, hatred, broken relationships. So it's into this context that Jesus tells this parable. Because as Christians, we live in the time in between the first and second comings of Christ. In one sense, the kingdom of God has come. It's already growing in our hearts as we increasingly submit to the lordship of Jesus in our own lives. But we're still waiting for the fullness of God's kingdom. We're still waiting, aren't we, for that day when Revelation 21 puts it, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. So the big question this parable is addressing is how can I keep going as a Christian in this in-between time? How can I persevere in the face of injustice, hardship, uncertainty or suffering, which to one degree or another is, is pretty much everybody's experience in this present world? Answer, chapter 18, verse 1, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So here is the key to persevering in troubled times. Do you see then, Jesus is not really addressing the issue of praying for a parking space or about my lost keys. It's not wrong to pray for a parking space. I often do when I'm out and about preaching. Uh, Sometimes pray for my lost keys too, but that's not really the issue in this parable. Here in Luke 18, there's a much bigger priority in view than my personal comfort and convenience as a Christian. Jesus wants you and I to always pray and not give up in light of the coming judgment. He wants us to always pray because the time is short and because we live in a world that has rejected God's rule, righteousness, and justice. In such a world, we need to always pray and not give up so that as Christians, along with our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, we will stay the course and experience deep joy even in the midst of pain and suffering. Well, with that kingdom context in mind, the second and major lesson of the parable is to remember the nature of the king. Remember the nature of the king. Jesus uses the two main characters in this great story rather brilliantly to motivate and energize us in our praying. But not quite in the way we might expect. Because it is possible, and I've heard it preached this way, it is possible to reach very wrong conclusions from this parable. Uh, So God is a bit like this judge, people say, in the sense that he's very, very busy running the affairs of this world and isn't really too concerned for little old me. So God is basically reluctant to answer our prayers. And you and I, they say, well, we're just like this poor, mistreated widow, of course. We're desperate, destitute. We're in great need of justice. But if we keep pestering God, if we lay siege to the door of heaven, maybe repeat the same prayer over and over and over again, perhaps even gather together thousands of people to multiply the power and pile on the pressure, well, eventually, the argument goes, God will get so fed up with our relentless nagging that he'll finally give us what we are. So be persistent, keep going, badger God until he comes through for you. But I want to suggest tonight that is to miss the whole point of this parable. Because that is how unbelievers pray. In the Sermon on the Mount, remember, Jesus warns his followers, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So Jesus is not encouraging and teaching many words here. He's not encouraging multiple prayers and lots and lots of babbling. No, what he's doing here is using the classic Jewish argument of comparing the lesser to the greater. It's a little bit like one of those essays I remember writing at school, albeit not very well, where we had to compare and contrast two people 
or two situations. I'm sure many of us have done that. So here, the point is this. If even the unjust judge eventually grants justice to this needy widow, well, compare and contrast that to the effect of praying to the God who is infinitely unlike the unjust judge. The parable reveals two key aspects of God's nature. First, he is the perfectly just judge of all the earth. Perfectly just judge. The judge in the parable is everything you would not want a judge to be. You can't help wondering how on earth he managed to get through the selection panel of the Judicial Appointments Commission. I mean, the verdict on him in verse 2 is damning. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So here is a judge with no sense of accountability to God, the supreme judge of the whole world, and who's unconcerned about other people's opinions. Now, you might feel the second is a positive. He's unbiased. He's not going to be swayed by popular opinion. But the ESV translation says he neither feared God nor respected man. So here is a judge with zero respect for God and zero respect for people who are made in God's image. I'm sure you'll agree, hardly ideal qualifications for a judge. And in case we're tempted to think, well, is this maybe just gossip or hearsay? No, it's the judge's shameless self-assessment of his own character. Did you notice that in the reading? He says to himself, middle of verse 4, I don't fear God or care what people think. He knows what he's like, but he ain't bothered. Maybe he's coming up for retirement, counting the days until he can draw his fat cat pension, retire to a lavish villa in the Maldives. Jesus doesn't elaborate. What we know for sure is this judge is utterly unconcerned for justice, not even for a defenseless widow. It's shocking because right throughout the Bible, God shows a particular care and concern and compassion for widows, orphans, needy people, vulnerable people. When God came in the flesh, who did Jesus hang out with? Mostly with those others had rejected. The poor, the weak, the defenseless, the marginalized, the alienated. Well, this widow is relentless. She is not to be denied. She keeps coming with the plea, verse 3, grant me justice against my adversary. With a bit of sanctified imagination, we can visualize her perhaps standing outside the old bailey, placard in hand, Justice for widows, as the judge cruises past smugly in his black chauffeur-driven Jaguar XJ with tinted windows. Or she's there pursuing him at the golf club, perhaps, crying out as he's about to tee off. Or she ambushes him in the champagne aisle in Waitrose. Please, give me justice. But no, verse 4, for some time he refused. And do you notice, even when he does eventually relent and grant her justice, it's purely down to self-interest. Verse 5, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Uh, more literally, so that she won't give me a black eye. It's most likely a saying. We might say so she won't nag me to death. Now remember, this is a compare and contrast parable. Jesus is using an argument from the, the lesser to the greater. The point is this. The God you and I pray to it's nothing like this. So if even the unjust judge eventually grants justice, well, how much more? The God who is perfectly and utterly just. The one of whom Psalm 89 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. 
I'm sure there will be people here this evening facing injustices of various kinds. Perhaps unjust treatment from a boss or a colleague or someone at school or university. Bullying or intimidation from someone bigger, stronger, more powerful than you. Maybe unfair treatment at the hands of a government official or a local council department or an apparent lack of concern from medical professionals. Some here may be facing persecution, ridicule, mocking for your faith within your own family, among your friends. Others perhaps harshly treated by a spouse or facing unreasonable criticism from a family member. In other countries, many represented here tonight, it is common to suffer injustice, intimidation, job loss, alienation from family, imprisonment, torture, even death, simply for professing faith in Jesus. But whatever the nature of the problem, big or small, apparently insignificant, or overwhelmingly serious. Jesus would say to you in the words of verse six, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God, the just one, bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? As Abraham prays back in Genesis 18, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And that's why you and I should always pray and not give up because of the nature of the one to whom we pray. Proverbs 29 verse 26 says, many seek an audience with a ruler, but it is from the Lord that one gets justice. Uh, there's a second aspect of God's nature revealed here. If I'm trusting in Jesus for forgiveness of my personal rebellion against God's kingdom rule, well, this God is now my caring father in heaven. My caring father in heaven. The unjust judge doesn't respect people, doesn't care about this widow's cry for justice, doesn't even care about his own reputation as an unjust judge. Yet despite all that, he eventually grants this widow justice. So again, compare and contrast. If even the most uncaring judge imaginable eventually gives in and grants justice, well, how much more the God that Jesus taught us to address as our Father in heaven. How much more with your Father in heaven who cares for you deeply bring about justice? Will he keep putting you off? Uh, Jesus has used this particular lesser to greater argument before in Luke's gospel. Back in Luke 11 verse 13 he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is one of the great blessings of the Christian faith. It comes to us through faith in Jesus. We no longer relate to God as a terrifying judge, but now as our caring Father in heaven, the one who knows how to give good gifts to his children, such as the Holy Spirit who lives in us and who can come alongside and strengthen us when we're being treated unfairly, when we're suffering any trial of faith. And that's why Peter urges us, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So whatever may be causing you anxiety tonight, from the smallest thing to the greatest thing, your loving Father in heaven longs for you and urges you to cast it all on him. Because he really does care for you. And you know, he has broad shoulders. He can bear the cares of all his people right around the world, however many millions or billions that may be. He has broad shoulders to bear them all. He really does care for you. And let me say that even applies if you've fallen far, far away. 
Even if perhaps you gave up on prayer many, many years ago, he still cares for you. Casting anxiety on God is, is it's not usually a kind of one-off, never-to-be-repeated action. It's often an ongoing process. Some deep-rooted anxieties will take time to offload onto your heavenly Father. You might pray and feel an amazing sense of peace one moment, only to be full of panic and fear again the next. That's certainly been my experience when I've been bringing some of my anxieties to God over the years. But brothers and sisters, this is the normal Christian life. It's how we grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. It's how our faith deepens and is proved to be genuine. Through the various trials and heartaches of life, Jesus is teaching us basically to not be self-reliant, but instead to always pray and not give up. So remember who God is, not only the perfectly just judge of all the earth, but also if you're trusting in Jesus, your loving caring father in heaven who always has his glory and your best interests at heart and who delights to hear the persistent prayers of his children and whatever you've been crying out for his provision his intervention his healing his protection or indeed whoever you've been crying out for unsafe family members children who've wandered from the faith friends colleagues neighbors housemates hostile to the gospel whether you've been praying for a few weeks or for many years, Jesus wants to urge and motivate you tonight to always pray and not give up. Well, I have two more points. One is quite brief. The other is even briefer. You'll be pleased to know. Third lesson in this school of how to always pray and not give up is to remember your special status. Remember your special status. Not only is God nothing like the unjust judge, but you and I, if we're in Christ... Well, we have an entirely different status to this poor, mistreated widow. So as we bring our needs to God in prayer, Jesus also wants us to compare and contrast the widow and ourselves. It's another argument from the lesser to the greater. Notice Jesus refers to his disciples in verse 7 as his chosen ones. So the point is this. If even this defenseless widow eventually gets justice... Remember, this at a time when there was no welfare state, no Citizens Advice Bureau, no access to legal aid, no injury lawyers for you to act on a no-win, no-fee basis. But if even someone in as hopeless a situation as this widow finally gets justice, well, how much more will God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Verse 7, those who cry out to him day and night. Those who, according to Paul in Ephesians 1, he chose before the foundation of the world. Those he predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. My brother, my sister in Christ, have you given up on prayer? I can only think you must have forgotten your privileged status. Status earned for you, indeed won for you by Jesus, your elder brother. Chapter 17, verse 25 says, He had to suffer many things on the cross and be rejected. But he did that in order to win your place and mine at the throne of God's grace in heaven. So remember your special status. If you come to God in the name of Jesus, who, remember, is the righteous man, with whose perfect righteousness you are clothed, and if you're not clinging to any obvious sin, you can have confidence that your prayers will rise to God like sweet-smelling incense and will be powerful and effective. 
to change situations, to melt hearts, to humble the proud, to bring prodigal sons and daughters back to faith, to rescue unsaved friends and colleagues and family, to transform your whole neighborhood, your whole student residence, to bring justice to the nations, to make wars cease to the ends of the earth. So you should always pray and not give up. But I wonder if you spotted a big problem with this parable. It's there, it's this little word in verse 8, quickly. I tell you, says Jesus, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Now, if that's true, you might say, well, why does God so often delay answering our prayers? It often seems, doesn't it, as if God does keep putting us off. So how do we make sense of this word quickly? Well, we need finally and very briefly to remember the return of the king. Here we turn full circle. We began by thinking about the context of the kingdom of God, which will only come in all its fullness when God's appointed king, Jesus, returns to finally establish justice and righteousness, put right every single wrong. But where is he? After all, it's nearly 2,000 years since Jesus was crucified, raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven. Well, let's remember Peter's words of encouragement in his second letter. Chapter 3, after all, says Peter, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. So the 2,000 years since Jesus went back to heaven, God's economy, that's like a weekend away. City break in Barcelona. The five years you've been praying for someone, by my calculations, at an exchange rate of 1,000 years to a day, that's just over seven minutes in God's sight. Come on, keep praying. You see, the real question of this parable is not whether God is just, and whether he answers prayers, he is, and he does, always in his perfect way, always with impeccable timing. Many of us have seen that in our lives, haven't we? We wondered why we had to wait, but then we realized when the answer came, it was with impeccable timing. Now, the real issue in this parable is when King Jesus returns, will he find you and me exercising faith? That's the powerful challenge he leaves us with. Notice at the end of the parable, however, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? In other words, will he find followers who always pray and have not given up?